Lights, camera, action. Hey guys. Hey everyone. Welcome back to the podcast and welcome back to week two of our four weeks of Christmas movies. Today we're going to be covering Die Hard, which isn't necessarily a Christmas movie, or is it? It's been a hot topic of controversy for many years. Um, is it or isn't it a Christmas movie? And that's what we're going to be talking about today. We are really excited about it. We're thankful to have you guys joining us. Um, word of caution, this movie is rated R. There is a lot of language and violence in it. We are not by any means promoting or recommending this movie. However, we are going to be discussing it. So thank you guys for joining us. If you're listening on YouTube, we ask that you give us a thumbs up or leave us a comment. If you're listening on Spotify, consider giving us a five-star review. And with that, I think let's jump right in. All right. So Die Hard was released on July 22nd, 1988. It was directed by four directors, actually. What? Yes. Really? That's what I found. That's insane. I had no idea. I know. So they are John Moore, Len Wiseman, John McTiernan, and Rennie Harlan. It is starring Bruce Willis, Alan Rickman, Bonnie Bedelia, Reginald Vell Johnson, Devorah White, and Paul Gleason. It was distributed by 20th Century Studios. It has a runtime of two hours and 11 minutes. As we said before, it is rated R. It had a budget of $28 million and a box office total of $240 million. So I do have some fun facts that I'm pretty excited about, honestly. I think there's some good ones. Okay, good deal. Um, Sorry, I was getting a little distracted because I'm fairly certain that there was only one director. Actually, I'm looking at it on IMDb right now. There's only one director. It was John McTiernan. What on earth? Why did I find four then? Because it's an error on Google, it just pulls up all four of them. Oh, because they've good directed okay, Die Hard sequels. Yes. Yeah. So John McTiernan. Well, I apologize, who, everyone. Evidently, there's like this news article. I guess he was arrested by the FBI. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Um, I I don't know what's up with that. You can look that up. We're not we're not covering that. But anyways, <laughs> that is uh we are retconning that statement a second ago, uh, correcting it. It was only John McTiernan. Yes. Sorry about that. Okay, so my first fun fact is that Bruce Willis did a lot of his own stunts and actually ended up suffering permanent hearing damage because, you know, the scene where he's like shooting a terrorist through the table, like he's underneath and the terrorist is on top. Yes, it was in my production details. Oh, I'm sorry. No, it's okay. Do you want to explain why he lost hearing? What happened to cause it? Uh, Yeah, I mean, it's pretty straightforward. He was shooting ammunition but it was uh they were blanks so there was not an actual live round um which is really common on hollywood sets um he was firing blanks but he was underneath the conference room table crawling on his back so he's already in a confined space the gun's going to be closer to him than he would actually normally be holding it if you're standing up pointing it Mm -hmm. and then additionally he had the conference room table directly above him so that sound isn't able to go anywhere except it's going to bounce off that table and then come directly back down to where he is. Right. It can't be dispersed out. So between having it close to him to closer to his body and then being in a confined space, he ended up uh, losing permanently losing two thirds of his hearing on his left ear, I believe. Yes, I believe so. Yeah. Okay. So my next one is that as I mean, if you've watched the movie, there is a lot of glass that gets shattered. Yes. And, um, you know, whether it's glass being jumped through or glass being shot through or whatever. Do you have a guess at how much money they spent on glass alone? No, I I have no idea. One hundred thirty thousand dollars. Well, there is a reason for probably why it's that expensive. Um, which I'll get into in the production details, but that um, may have been caused, that number might be so high because of an accident. Oh, okay. Well, I'm excited to hear about it. Um, So my next one, hopefully you don't have this. Do you have anything about where they shot at, like the building? I mean, I do, but it's just that it's an actual building. I mean, I I only have a little bit. Okay. Well, I'm going to tell you. So 
The building that um, the whole film takes place in is actually Fox Plaza, which is the headquarters of 20th Century Studios um, in Los Angeles. The building was under construction during filming, and so the 33rd and 34th floors were empty, so they used those as their set. But even though Die Hard was a Fox movie, the company still charged them a location rental fee for using the space. Interesting. Um, my next one is that um, Die Hard is actually based on a book. Um, it's one called Nothing Lasts Forever, and it's a sequel to a novel called The Detective, which was turned into a movie in 1968 starring Frank Sinatra. Yes. Um, so technically, 20th Century Fox was contract. I'm gonna I'm gonna mess up this name or not name word contractually yes obligated to offer the role of John McClane to Frank Sinatra yes so uh, to clarify Die Hard in, in a technical uh, I don't I don't exactly know the the right terms but on a technical level Die Hard is a sequel to that Johnson or Frank Sinatra right film yes. the detective um, because uh, it was based on a book adaptation of the sequel to that movie. Right. Um, so like you said, they were contractually obligated to offer it to him because it on paper and the movie, the, the book rights of that was used for the script of Die Hard. Mm -hmm. So that's why they had to offer it to Frank Sinatra. Right. Who at this point in his life would have been in his seventies. Yes. So he declined it. Um, so, my next one is that Bruce Willis was actually the fifth choice to play the lead. He was still at this point, like a relatively unknown actor. He had only been in like a couple other things before this, I believe. So the role was first offered to Arnold Schwarzenegger, Burt Reynolds, Sylvester Stallone, Harrison Ford, and Richard Gere. And wasn't there another one that you said? Uh, so I don't know that it's true that Bruce Willis was the fifth actor that it was offered to. He was like okay. the 10th or 12th. Oh, okay. There, so I had that it was Arnold Schwarzenegger, Sylvester Stallone, Richard Gere, Clint Eastwood, Harrison Ford, Burt Reynolds, Nick Nolte, Mel Gibson, Don Johnson, Richard Dean Anderson, Paul Newman, who I love, love Paul Newman, <laughs> James Cann, and Al Pacino. Yeah, so, yeah, not fifth. <laughs> yeah, so all of those guys um, were all offered the role for this film. And I guess if you technically count Frank Sinatra, I don't yeah. think anybody was serious about having him right, in the film, but right. they, they had to do it. Yeah. But, yes, all of those guys were offered the role, and they all declined for one reason or another. Okay, so my next fact is another casting detail, actually. Um. Sam Neill was actually originally offered the role of Hans Gruber. Really? Really. So for all our Jurassic Park fans out there, yes. Sam Neill is, oh, what's his name in uh, Jurassic Park? He's Dr. Grant? Is no. It, is it Dr. Grant? I um, don't remember. <laughs> I can't remember off the top of my head. That just that came in my head up. and I don't know why. I think it is. Yes, it's Dr. Alan Grant. <gasps> wow. I'm yeah, impressed with good myself. Job. Yes. So, yeah. So he was originally offered the role. I couldn't find why he turned it down, but he did turn it down. And that's why it. Interesting. It, he's not in it. Um, so next, my next. Blah, 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 sorry. My next fact is that none of the actors playing the terrorists spoke German. So in the theatrical release, they spoke just like gibberish, basically, that sounded like German. Right. Um, and then when the actual like movie came out i guess right like the at home vhs copy right yeah. yes um they replaced it with real german like just audio over right so if you look really closely their lips don't match up to what they're saying really yes i did not pick up on that yeah and that is all of the fun facts that i have okay well, I will jump into production details then. I don't have a ton because most of the production details I had fell under kind of fun fact stuff that I knew you'd be covering. But I do have some. 
So principal photography began in November 1987, and it concluded in March 1988. Um, The movie was shot almost entirely at Fox Plaza in Century City, which if you didn't know, like I did not know, Century City is a suburb in, um, well, it's a business district in Los Angeles. Um, stunts on the film or stunts for the film were almost all done practically and shot in camera. The only stunt that utilized miniatures was the scene where the roof explodes at off of Nakatomi Plaza. So they built a little model and uh, exploded it with the roof coming off <laughs> that they didn't do that for real. But yeah. that was one of the few things that wasn't actually captured in camera. I wondered how they did that. Yeah. Um. Bruce Willis did the majority of his own stunts. That was one of the things he wanted to do. Um, because for those of you who don't know, as Emily was saying earlier, um, Bruce Willis was not an action star at this point. Actually, he wasn't really a star at all. He had had a couple roles, but was mostly known for doing comedies. Um, so one of the things he wanted to do was his own stunts, kind of establish himself as an action star, which we all know that this movie did. Um, but The public did not believe it. They actually did not like him. And market research showed that uh, people were willing to not see the movie because he was the lead role and they changed their marketing campaign because of him. Really? Yeah. They just didn't see him as an action star. And they also felt like because he didn't at the time like doing interviews for movies. So people assumed that he was just arrogant, which I mean, I've watched Bruce Willis in interviews and I would say he's the complete opposite. He's Mm -hmm. just an actual person and not like, uh, captured by fame, Mm -hmm. you know, I did see, um, I'm assuming it would be for this reason. I'm not sure why, or I'm not sure if that's true, but, um, I saw that a lot of like the posters and things that they were making for these, this movie and advertisements and stuff like did not have Bruce Willis in it. Yes. And it, from everything that I saw, it was directly related to the market research they did. Mm-hmm. However, the company denied it. They, gotcha. they would not publicly come out against Bruce Willis because they wanted to support him. Mm-hmm. However, I think it shows in some way, shape or form that they were not interested in casting him. Mm-hmm. Um, they went through a slew of, what, 10, 12 guys that all declined before he accepted. Mm -hmm. So I don't know that I would say it was unrelated. Gotcha. But anyways, uh, Bruce did most of his own stunts and the very first one he did was a scene at the end of the movie where he ties a fire hose to his waist and jumps off the roof. That was the first one he did? That was the first stunt he did. Wow. Yeah, and he did it himself. Um, this was not done on the actual roof of the Fox Plaza. So how they did it, they um, had Bruce, you know, in a safety harness, and but he tied a fire hose around his waist and everything. Um, they had him jump off of a five-story parking garage, which to give you frame of reference is anywhere from 50 to 60 feet high. Um, he jumped off of a five-story parking garage onto a blue screen airbag so that they were able to edit it out and whatnot. Um, while he was jumping off of the building, there was a 60 foot wall of flame that was exploding behind him. And the explosive force of that pushed Bruce to the edge of the airbag as he was falling. And the crew thought that he died. Yeah, that's pretty scary. Yeah, but he didn't and he was fine. He didn't have any injuries when doing it, but, uh, they were pretty freaked out. Yeah. Especially because, um, during production of the movie, they were very intentional about making sure the stuntmen, the actors were all very safe because um, right before they started shooting for this movie, the Twilight Zone, the movie, was uh, being shot and a stuntman died on set. Oh, wow. So they like were really hunkering down to make sure that everybody was safe. Mm-hmm. So they were really freaked out by this. Yeah, I'm sure. I did see, I read that about that too. And, uh, I guess I don't I don't know if this is true or not, but I guess that Bruce's wife was on set that day. Yeah. And Demi Moore. Like, at the watched, time it was Demi Moore, his yeah, first wife. Yeah. And like watched that happen. And apparently Bruce got up and was laughing and she really? was not amused. I'm sure she was probably not happy. <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, um, so there was a, a scene, probably more than one, but at least one that I know of where a stunt double did fill in for Bruce Willis. 
Um, and that was a scene where John McClane jumps from a balcony to the air duct. Um, it's when he's trying to escape the German terrorists and he puts his gun. Um, he uses like the, the gun sling. Mm-hmm. Um, he unclips it and is kind of hanging down into a shaft. Um, like an, it's not an elevator shaft, but I guess it, some kind of vent of some yeah. vent shaft. I don't know. Yeah. yeah. Just a big open area. And so he's hanging down and there's two air ducts that are on the uh, wall next to him. And he has to jump over to it. Well, stunt double filled in to do that. When the stunt double went to jump from the wall where he was hanging from the gun over to the air duct, he was originally supposed to grab on to the first air duct, the higher one. And he fell lower than he was supposed to. And he did actually save himself. And he caught the the lower, the second air duct. But that was not in the script. That was not supposed to happen. And because it did happen and they caught it in camera, they put it in the final movie because it was way more dramatic and caused even more tension in an already high stakes scenario. Yeah. I I mean, when we watched this, we just watched it yesterday and And we both were like, like our jaws dropped when that happened. Neither of us had seen this movie before. Right. So, you know, it was, it was really cool to watch the movie for the first time with like, you know, fresh set of eyes. We Mm -hmm. didn't have... We didn't know the story. I mean, we kind of had a rough idea of the story, but mm-hmm. we didn't know, you know, what was going to happen in each scene. And uh, it, it was really crazy yeah. to see that play out. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the next production detail I had was about Bruce suffering the permanent hearing uh, loss, which we already covered. Um, so circling back to the cost of windows. Um what was the figure that you gave us earlier on how much they spent on re- replacing when, or well, the cost of glass, I guess I should say. $130,000. Okay. So the reason that I said, I believe that is tied directly to a, an accident is, uh, because when they were shooting the scene where John McClane throws the C4 down the elevator shaft, you know, mm-hmm. and it's like that massive explosion. Mm-hmm. So when they shot that, they did use explosives, and as we said, this was a real building. Right. And they shot pretty much everything on scene, or I guess on location. Mm-hmm. Um, the crew, when when they set off that explosion, um, accidentally blew out every window on one floor of the building. Oh, my word. <laughs> yeah. So my assumption is that the cost of glass was that high because of that. Yeah, that makes um, sense. I don't know that for sure. Maybe that that number wasn't included in the final figure, but mm-hmm. I would assume that it probably was. Yeah, you're probably right. Yeah. And then the final detail that I have is um, Alan Rickman, who plays Hans mm-hmm. in the film. Um, his final scene in the movie is where he's hanging from a ledge holding on to um, Holly McLean. Mm-hmm. And he ends up falling to his death. Right. Well, they that scene was actually not shot on a location. They sh- they shot that on a soundstage where they could do that all safely. Um, Rickman uh, fell anywhere from 20 to 70 feet. Reports are inconsistent as to what it was, but he did actually fall onto, again, a blue screen airbag. Mm-hmm. And when they were rehearsing the fall, the stunt coordinator had told him, hey, we're going to drop you on the count of three but they intentionally dropped them on one so that when they were shooting that they would be able to capture a true look of fear in his eyes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And which freaked him out, but they, I'm sure. you know, <laughs> it shows in the final product. Yeah. You um, can see that he is freaked out for yeah, sure. Yeah. So anyways, that is the, uh, the final production detail that I have. Okay. So let's move on to ratings and then, I mean, we have to, I'm I'm excited to hear if you actually think this is a Christmas movie or not. Yes. So first rate it. What would you rate this movie? Okay. So this is a tough one for me. Um cuz this is a really good movie. It's really good. I would say honestly like I like action movies. Um in as far as like some of my favorite action movies go outside of superhero movies because all of them are action movies. Mm-hmm. I, I'm just going to put them in a different category. I would say for me personally, one of my all-time favorite action movies is Terminator 2. Mm-hmm. Um, this one is easily 
right up there with that movie. Mm-hmm. Like the, it is so solid. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I don't appreciate all that. There is a lot of language in this movie. Yes. And as I kind of said in the, I think it was last week's episode and when we were covering Home Alone, the violence and all that stuff, it, it doesn't really bother me. This movie is actually very tame in terms of being graphic. It's more so situational in terms of what you actually see. Like it's, it's dramatic, but you don't see like someone's face being caved in. Like, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, so it is violent for sure. Um, but I will say it's actually not as bad as I was expecting it to be in terms of um, graphic content that you see. But mm-hmm. again, my opinion is a little bit skewed on that stuff because I have worked in emergency care and intensive care and hospitals. And so that stuff doesn't really bother me. I will say I have a differing viewpoint from you. Yeah. <laughs> it it was pretty graphic in my opinion, but yeah. I'm also kind of a weenie when it comes to that stuff. So they did a good job of leading you to believe that they were going to show what was going to happen and cut and not, away at the very, very, yeah. very last second. There were which a couple created, things that they actually did show, though. Yeah, there, there but, were. Yeah. But um, I will say uh, I have a lot of credit and respect for the filmmakers to making you think they're going to go there and then they don't, which mm-hmm. it still gives you the same response, mm-hmm. you know, the drama. Right. And whatnot. Yeah. So this this is by far and just the story. I absolutely yeah, love the story of this movie. Great mm-hmm. movie. I mean, this is just an ordinary guy who gets caught in an extraordinary circumstance. So I think that's super cool. Um, if I'm going to rate it on a scale of one to 100, it's really tough for me because I want to give it a really high rating. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't know. So... <clears throat> I'm just going to go with my gut and I'm just, I'm just going to give this a 92. Okay. Just, and I don't know why, but that's just, that's where I'm at. I'm just going to give it a 92. Okay. Well, everything you said I was going to say, so I'm not going to really repeat everything, but my, I decided my rating last night after we watched it. Yeah. And I'm going to give it a 90, I think. Okay. I was kind of going like with a 90, but mm-hmm. I, I really liked this movie. Yeah. It, it is very good. Really good. On um, I was looking at the reviews on some different streaming websites and most of them have this movie at a full five stars. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which in I'm, my, not, I'm not surprised. Yeah. I'm, that's really impressive. I understand the hype now. I mean, like with like, you know, Jake Peralta and Brooklyn Nine Nine, like yeah. it's his favorite movie, and I understand right. now. <laughs> yes, I totally get it. And like, uh, there's an episode of The Office where they talk about Die Hard. It's in yeah. like the later seasons, which yeah. a lot of people don't like. But mm-hmm. if you don't watch those, then you're not a true Office fan. It's so. true. Anyway, we are big Office fans. Yes, but anyways, um, yes, I get it. I understand why people, uh, why there's a lot of hype around this movie being like one of the greatest action movies of all time. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I did a like just a tiny amount of research about whether Die Hard is a Christmas movie or not. Just I was just curious about, you know, what other people thought, you know, like because I know that it's a huge controversy and I know that people are very torn on it. So I was just curious, you know, like how close is it? Like, is it just like a oh, like 30 percent that say that it is a Christmas movie and the rest don't, you know? Yeah. So um, there was a poll conducted in. 2021 because i guess it was on disney plus for a time um so when they released it on disney plus they conducted a poll it actually still is on disney plus is it really just not in the u.s every other like okay outside countries have it on disney plus just not the u.s okay so um when it was released on disney plus they conducted a poll just asking people that had seen it if they think it's a christmas movie or not 44% 44% said it was a Christmas movie. 47% wow. said it was not, and the rest were undecided. Wow. Yes. Okay, I wasn't expecting it to be that close. I thought Isn't the rest was just going to be 60, you know. Yeah, wow. no, no. Okay. Yeah, so very close. Now, I was, I got a little more curious. I was like, I wonder if any of the cast or people who have worked on the movie have like said like if they feel if like they it feel is. like it's a christmas yeah. movie or not so the director john mctiernan says that it is a christmas movie okay but he said it wasn't originally intended to be a christmas movie 
his quote was, the joy that came from it is what turned it into a Christmas movie. Hmm. Okay. So he says it is, but Bruce Willis is adamant that it is not a Christmas movie. Really? Yes. Okay. Interesting. In his words, it is a Bruce Willis movie. <laughs> so, okay. He yes. might be tongue in cheek yes, making yes. a joke there. Okay. Yes. So. Which before we go any further. Yeah. I just, it, I mean, I don't expect anybody from Bruce Willis's family to be listening to this, but if you are, just want to extend love to them. Yes. Because everything that's going on with Bruce Willis right now is it's just so sad. Mm-hmm. Heartbreak. If you guys don't know, he has uh, contracted a condition. I don't remember what it is, so I'm not even going to try and guess, but mm-hmm. he's basically lost um, all verbal ability uh, to speak. Mm-hmm. He, he's uh, still alive and able to function on a daily basis he's just losing his his ability to speak which Mm -hmm. is very very sad Mm -hmm. and um he's unable to remember scripts for acting Mm -hmm. um so he's kind of been forced into retirement Mm -hmm. which is really sad yeah yeah but anyways um back on topic Mm -hmm. is this a christmas movie or is it not and uh do you want to go first or do you want me to go first I don't care. You can go. Okay. So I will say I have gone back and forth on like from when I watched it last night. Was it last night that we watched it? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So last night and some of today and I've gone back and forth at different times and I I feel strongly. This is a Christmas movie. (laughs) Okay. I want to hear all of your reasoning. Okay, so do you do you want to share where you're at first, or do you want me to go and and explain why? Well, this is going to be interesting because I don't think it's a Christmas movie. Okay. Now I will say I was very torn, and yeah, the like it is just by the slightest amount that I don't think it's a Christmas movie. Yeah. Like when I w- like I was expecting before watching it, I knew about all of the controversy around it. Right. And I was expecting to like, no, right off the bat, like, okay, yeah, no, this is not a Christmas movie, you know? Right. And it was hard. I honestly felt the exact same way going into it. I was like, you know, this isn't a Christmas movie. Emily and I are both going to sit down record the podcast and we're both going to be like, no, this definitely isn't a Christmas movie. Yeah. Um, but you know, we're just going to cover it during our Christmas, uh, four weeks of Christmas just because of the controversy. Mm hmm. And like you said, it was very hard, way more than I expected. I honestly kind of going into it was thinking about Iron Man 3, Mm -hmm. which I'm a superhero nerd. That movie really grinds my gears. It is um, they did so much uh, wrong in that movie. I like it. It, It's it's okay. (laughs) Shane Black directed it. I don't really care for him as a director. The story wasn't there. Jon Favreau should have been in full control of that movie. But that's neither here nor there. That's not what we're talking about. But I kind of had like going into it the idea that like, oh, Iron Man 3 is set at Christmas, but I feel strongly that that is not a Christmas movie because that really has nothing to do with Christmas. It's Mm -hmm. just happens to be when the story takes place. Mm -hmm. That is not how I felt about this movie. Yeah. So, I mean, honestly, when I hear your reasoning, because I'm so on the edge, like you might sway me. Really? Yes. Okay. So while I was watching it, the first thing that started convincing me that like, maybe this actually is, was because um, the score for the movie actually uses Christmas songs. Yes. Which um, I I wish I would have written them down. I think I might be able to get to it um, because I I think I still have it up. But um, they used like, yes. So, okay. So I have like Winter Wonderland. Um, that was one of the songs that they used for the actual score as well as let it snow, let it snow, let it snow. Um, there was one more that I saw. I don't remember what it is. Um, ode to joy, Mm. ode to joy. So all of those are classic Christmas songs Mm -hmm. and that was the score for the film. However, it wasn't just like your typical version of those songs. Mm -hmm. They used them, um, kind of like they played ominous versions of those songs, Mm -hmm. I guess. And they played regular versions too, but like as sequences would happen, they kind of started changing the song and making it more ominous depending on what was going on in the scene. And that for me was like, wow, this is actually 
like they are really using uh, this. It, it's not just the time of year. Like they're they're really embracing the whole idea of Christmas throughout the film. Mm-hmm. Um, so just the fact that they incorporated it into the score was definitely one of the major um, things that swayed me. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the next thing that swayed me was because they started incorporating, um, I guess you could say like iconic Christmas stuff in the film. I, I don't know what to say other than when uh, John McClane kills the first German guy. Yeah. And he's he's standing next to like a, I guess, a Santa figure statue. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know what you call it. Um, so he writes a message to the other terrorists and sends the body down mm-hmm. in an elevator shaft. And he, you know, writes, I have a machine, a gun. machine gun now. Ho, ho, ho. Or something yeah. like that. Like, OK, they're leaning into it. Right. You know, um, because, again, what's ringing true in my mind is Iron Man 3, mm-hmm. which is an action movie set in Christmas. And they really disregard everything about Christmas in that movie, mm-hmm. except for there's a Christmas tree in a couple scenes, you know, and, and whatever. Right. And with this, they're like, okay, they're leaning into it again. Yeah. And then one of the things that really, I mean, really pushed the, honestly, I think this is what pushed me over the edge. So in the beginning of the movie, when, um, John McClane gets picked up by Argyle, yes, the limo driver, which by the way, loved our Argyle's character Mm -hmm. for somebody who plays such a minimal role in the film. Really loved that character. Yeah. He was well acted. He was funny, very likable. He has a heroic scene in the end. Mm-hmm. Um, so I enjoyed him. But anyways, uh, and just his dynamic with John McClane. I, I like that they kind of built up a quick trust. But um, anyways, so when they're in the parking lot or they're driving, at, at some point, he pops in a tape. Um, yes, a tape, not a CD player or a phone. <laughs> This is back in the 80s. Um, He starts playing some rap music and John McClane is like, you know, don't you have any Christmas music? He's like, this is Christmas music, which the song he's playing is Christmas in Hollis by Run DMC, one of the greatest rap groups of all time. Mm -hmm. And this movie, because of that scene, that scene where he plays it and that song starts going um, because of this movie has cemented Christmas in Hollis as a Christmas classic song. Huh. Like, there was a poll done and people, you know, feel like, oh, yeah, that's definitely a Christmas classic. Mm-hmm. And it's because of this movie. Okay. And that's for me, is what pushed me over the edge. All right. So is that all you have as far as reasons that you think it is a Christmas movie? I mean, you know, I, don't, I, I think so. Those are all okay. the things at the top of my mind. At, yeah. the, at the end of the day, really... Um, I guess you have to get into what is a Christmas movie. Right. Because then you start getting into like, oh, well, it has to, you know, it has to be this or that Mm -hmm. or whatever. And like, I don't know. Not everything's one to one. Mm -hmm. And I think for me, you know it when you see it Mm -hmm. and you know when it's not like Mm -hmm. Iron Man 3 definitely is not. But the fact that there's even a conversation about it and that there's like controversy or whatever the fact that both of us were on the fence Mm -hmm. like okay well there's obviously something to this more than just like well well it takes place at christmas so it's a christmas movie yeah i i you know just the fact that that's there is all the more reason for me to be like okay maybe this is one yeah you know so okay well i'm still i'm still leaning toward no but okay I don't know. I'm still I'm still struggling, but I'm going to I'm going to give you my reasonings for why I think it's not. Before you go, I will say. Yeah. As I watched the movie, this Mm -hmm. was kind of ringing like in the back of my mind, like, oh, what do you think? Is this, you know, a Christmas Mm -hmm. movie? And as I'm watching, I'm felt feeling more and more convinced that it is pretty much up until kind of like the third act. And when it's pretty much just all action at that point, I was like, okay, yeah, probably not. Yeah. And I think because it ends on that note is why I maybe feel like, okay, yeah, maybe this isn't. Yeah. And, but up until that point, I felt pretty convinced that Mm -hmm. this is a Christmas movie, Mm -hmm. which is again, why I'm leaning back that way. Okay. So, um, one thing that I 
like when I was kind of reading up on like what other people think about it, one big reason that a lot of people argue that it's not a Christmas movie is because it's like, oh, like Christmas movies don't have violence. Like Christmas movies don't have machine guns and things like that. That is not one of my reasons. Yeah, I was going to say, because at that point, again, like, what are you like? Right. You can't say that like they they're not all like this cookie cutter, you know, thing like they're they some of them definitely are like Hallmark. Right. Those are Christmas like cookie cutter, you know, but yes, they don't all have to be exactly the same. Well, and on that note, too, just like you can have a Christmas comedy, Mm -hmm. you can have a Christmas family movie. Yeah, you can have a Christmas action movie. Mm -hmm. You know, it doesn't necessarily have to be. Yeah. This like a one size fits all thing. Uh, Exactly. Right. Yeah. So just prefacing that like that is not one of my reasons. One of my reasons, though, is this movie was released in the summer. Okay, that's fair. And Christmas movies, you know, typically will come out around Christmas time. I I mean, there's definitely there's a definite possibility that there's some that haven't. But hey, Christmas in July, though. Am I right? All right. Anyways. (laughs) (laughs) Um. Okay, my second reason is kind of a lengthier one, so forgive me. But in the movie, all of the action happens in December, obviously, and there's lots of, you know, Christmas decorations all throughout the movie. And this makes a lot of people believe that it is a Christmas movie just because of those things. Mm -hmm. But I would argue that the plot of the movie is about a terrorist taking over a building and this could happen any time of year. In the movie, it just happens to happen in December. Um, So just because something happens in December doesn't mean it's Christmas related. And like, like, I guess my argument would be that if the takeover of the Nakatomi Plaza happened in like, uh, like, oh, like April when, when like we have Easter. Right. That wouldn't make it an Easter movie, you know, yeah. like like or Valentine's Day, like if it happened in February. And I did get some of this um, like I found I found some of my arguments online too to help back me up. I have some sources to cite. OK, but um, so I just I don't know. Basically, what I'm getting at, I think, is that even though the movie takes place on Christmas. It doesn't affect the plot. You could have taken out everything Christmas related and still been left with the same movie. Okay. So to counter that argument, because I feel like that is a valid argument. Mm -hmm. So what does every kid wish for on Christmas outside of presents? You know, what, what do little kids hope for on Christmas? I don't know. Well, if you're like me, you the first thing you do when you wake up, and I'm you know almost 26, and I still do this Christmas morning, you go out, look through the window, and see if it snowed. Oh, okay, okay. Mm-hmm. Okay, at the very end of the movie, it starts snowing. Remember, this movie is set in Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. The last time it sm- snowed in LA was in 1962. Wow. Okay. So I feel like that inclusion makes it like, okay, this is maybe intentional on the creator, the director, you know, that whole team that they wanted it to snow. Mm -hmm. Okay. That's my first reason. Second reason, John's wife has made a Christmas themed name. I did see that online too. Holly Mm -hmm. McLean. I mean, there's nothing more festive than Holly. Okay, well, my last reason is going to just be the end-all, be-all, like, this is going to change your mind, okay? And my last reason is going to be the end-all, be-all and change your okay, mind. Okay, I want to hear yours first. No, 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 I want to hear yours first. <laughs> okay, well, my last reason is that if Bruce Willis says that it's not a Christmas okay, movie... Okay, okay, please, It's please. not a Christmas movie. Was that actually your reason? Yes. <laughs> I, I think he was probably joking. <laughs> Okay. Anyways, I want to I want to hear your last reason. My last reason is scientifically proving. Oh goodness. Okay. <laughs> scientifically proving that Die Hard is in fact a Christmas movie. So this was done in this was research that was conducted in 2016 based on um, only Dish Network statistics. Okay. But 
According to uh, the stats from 2016 released by Dish Network, 1.3 million Americans watched, watched Die Hard on Christmas Eve, which beat out your traditional holiday movies like Home Alone, Miracle on 34th Street, and The Santa Claus. Oh my gosh. This is 1.3 million Americans chose to watch this movie rather than watching an all-time Christmas classic like Home Alone, The Santa Claus, or Miracle on 34th Street, which are all undoubtedly Christmas movies. Mm-hmm. The numbers don't lie. Okay. I'm not going to say you've changed my mind because <laughs> I still, I truly, I still don't know. But you had some some good points, I'd I, say. I will say that I wasn't expecting there to be as much to this as there actually is. Yes, I agree. Mm-hmm. I really did not anticipate it. Like, I, you know, I've heard a lot of people talk about it, mm-hmm. but I didn't know if that was just kind of a regional thing, you know, mm-hmm. or, or what... If it's just, you know, I, I didn't know if that it was as nearly as big as it is, yeah. this conversation. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I think that's that's pretty cool. Um, and you've got one of each here in this conversation. Right. I believe that it is. You believe that it is not. Mm-hmm. And that's okay. But that's why we're covering it here. We had never seen it. We wanted to talk about it and find out you know, for ourselves. Mm-hmm. So... Before we wrap this episode up, we really didn't talk about any of our favorite scenes or things we liked or disliked. Um, is there anything that jumps out to you that you want to cover? Um, I don't know. I just I know that there were scenes while I was watching that I really enjoyed. I can't think of like specific instances off the top of my head. I just remember I just really enjoyed the whole thing. Like I, I felt like like you said earlier, the story was really good. I appreciated that it wasn't just this kind of like... I mean, not to not to throw like Transformers under the bus, but like just like a kind of how you describe it, like just a popcorn movie, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I appreciated that it wasn't just this like, oh, we're just going to do a ton of explosions and that's it. You know, I appreciated the story behind it. And um, I loved the, you know, the relationship between the police officer and John and um I loved the whole like like how everything was happening over the walkie talkies or yes. radios, not walkie yep. talkies. Um, and yeah, I don't know if there were any like specific scenes where I'm like, oh, that was my favorite one. But I yeah. just I mean, overall, I didn't I don't want to say I didn't have high hopes because I didn't think it was going to be bad. But um, I guess I just didn't really know what to expect. So. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I will say, um, I agree with everything you said. I really loved just the character of John McClane in general. Yes. He's mm-hmm. a very smart guy, you know, and just again, an ordinary guy who just was trying to stay alive and mm-hmm. save anyone that he could, mm-hmm. which is really, really cool. I love the dynamic of the radios, like you were mentioning. Um, and just additionally, like how that played out where he was able to talk to Al played Mm -hmm. by Reginald Vell Johnson, but like all the German terrorists could listen to him. Right. You know, so he wasn't actually able to have like these private conversations and Mm -hmm. get help and, you know, um, stuff like that. So that was really interesting. Can I really quick cut in and say something that I hated? Sure. Yeah. I know that it just was, I I know it wasn't supposed to be something that we were going to enjoy watching, but the female officer dispatcher, on the line yeah. oh my gosh i was like yeah. like that surely would not happen in real life yeah. like i just like just, the fact that she was saying you know like oh this is this is a line only for whatever she said emergency broadcast emergency broadcast it clearly was an emergency <laughs> yeah you know yeah like, i'm not gonna repeat what he said but his right. his comeback line to that was pretty funny yes but um yeah, yeah, it just, yeah, it made me really mad. Yeah, no, I agree. That was frustrating uh, to watch play out, which, I mean, it happened for a reason. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was one thing that I guess maybe could be the theme of this movie was that there was a reason for everything in this movie, mm-hmm. which I appreciate. When you talk about popcorn movies and just mindless action and unnecessary explosions and all that stuff. Yeah. When you look at a movie like Die Hard, there's 
in incredible amount of explosions and flames and all, you know, all that stuff. Mm -hmm. But everything that happened in this movie happened for a reason. And I didn't feel like it was just like, oh, this is the, the move, you know, okay. So 20th century Fox in this case, this is their big summer blockbuster Mm -hmm. or whatever. I did not feel that way when those things were happening. What I felt like was, oh, because John had to make this choice this is what happened or this is happening here. So he's having to do this Yeah. or, you know, whatever the case may be. But, um, you know, even when like the entire roof exploded, I don't really care that the roof exploded. Mm-hmm. I care about John mm-hmm. jumping off of the roof with a fire hose tied around his waist. Right. That's what I'm worried about. I, I don't care about I, the money shot or, you know, whatever you want to call it, the splash page mm-hmm. um, of just this roof being exploded. I'm more interested and invested in the story. And that's probably the through line of this film is that there's an incredibly, incredibly, incredibly strong story here, mm-hmm. which um, I have a major appreciation for. Yeah. And I will say one of the favorite scenes that like, as I was watching it, I was like, oh, wow, that's awesome. When I was watching it was um, when John McClane was, I don't remember exactly where he was at in the building, but this is a little bit further into the movie, maybe the halfway point, maybe a little bit past it. And um, Hans is out looking for him Mm -hmm. and then they ended up running into each other, Mm -hmm. but John had not seen Hans to that point, up to that point. He had only talked to him on the radio. I just, I love the fact that um, John was smart enough to, you know, be decisive and not just shoot this guy on the scene. Mm -hmm. Um, Even though he was a bad guy, he didn't know that. And the fact that Hans was cunning enough to, you know, start doing an American accent Mm -hmm. and... Uh, be like, oh my gosh, you know, you're one of them and trying to cover his own kind end and pretend like he's one of the hostages. Mm -hmm. That was incredibly smart. And by the way, fun fact, the only reason that's in the movie is because at one point um, in between shooting scenes, the director heard um, Alan Rickman. Was that his name? Yes, Alan. Um, He heard him doing an American accent and then Mm -hmm. they ended up writing a scene for it. Oh, yeah. I had read something different. Oh, well that's about how that came about. <laughs> that's what I had found okay. that they that they ended up writing that scene and incorporating it because of that, but mm-hmm. maybe not. Yeah. Um, but anyways, I love the dynamic there because the the first thing that came to my head was like, wow, I don't know that I've ever seen this in a movie before. Mm-hmm. Where the hero of the story is being forced to be in a room with the bad guy in the movie. And he doesn't know it, but the bad guy does. Mm -hmm. And the bad guy's playing it off and he can't do anything about it because he's not armed. But the hero is and the hero's helping him. Mm -hmm. But, you know, the thing that like just takes it one notch higher or makes it even better is the fact that John starts grilling this guy Mm -hmm. and trying to figure out, hey, you know what? Uh, who are you? He notices the watch on his hand, which all the other um, German guys have the same watch. Mm -hmm. That was the first thing that tipped them off. Then he starts looking at the directory that's on the wall. It has all these names. And Hans ends up saying two of the names that are directly next to each other that that's his name. Mm -hmm. I'm Clay something. Crawford or something like that. Crawford, something like that. Which those names are directly together. And um, John picks up on it. And then he does it really slick, very nonchalant. Um, You wouldn't pick up on it unless you're paying attention. John starts calling him Bill. Mm -hmm. And Hans doesn't react, Mm -hmm. which confirms for John that, okay, this guy is one of the bad guys and he's just faking. Mm -hmm. Um, He does that, which was incredibly smart. And Hans doesn't realize that he did that. And he continues to call him Bill. He doesn't pick up on it. And then John goes as far as taking the bullets out of the gun, but he does it very, you know, uh, I guess discreetly, inconspicuously. Yeah. And then gives the gun to Hans, Mm -hmm. allowing him to think that he's like got the upper hand now. Yeah. I mean, just the, how that entire scene played out was incredibly like dynamic and tense and smart. And like, that was like, 
that was great filmmaking yes. and great storytelling. I don't know that I've ever seen anything quite like that in film. Mm-hmm. And that like that scene specifically was ingrained in my mind as this is an amazing scene. Yeah, I agree. I, I really love that, too. Um, I will say one thing I didn't mention earlier was um, in that scene when uh, Alan is doing the American accent, he actually is um, English or British, I guess you should okay. say, I should say. And so he has a British accent. So that was unnatural to him, you know, to do an American accent. Right. And I guess... John Tiernan was very unhappy with how his American accent sounded and he kept having him do takes trying it differently and that he just couldn't do it the way that he wanted him to. So they ended up just leaving it how it was. His American accent does sound weird. It does sound weird, (laughs) but it sounds, I guess, believable enough. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But yeah, well, that's, I mean, that's really all that I had, all yeah. that was on my mind. Mm-hmm. I, I do think to just like as a whole, kind of as we're wrapping this episode up, I really love the character of John McClane and that he's kind of in a situation where he has to be by himself. Mm-hmm. He doesn't have help from anybody and he's just, you know, trying to figure it all out. I think that dynamic is really cool too. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Cool. Okay. Well, I think that does it for this episode. So guys, thank you so much for joining us and for listening. We hope you're having a great Christmas season. Um, Next week, we're going to be covering an all-time Christmas classic. It's a Wonderful Life. This is another movie that Emily and I have not seen. Um, I've heard it's one of the all-time greats, and we are really excited about watching it. It is, uh, you know, an old movie. It's in black and white. I heard they re-release it in color, but don't watch that. (laughs) Go watch it in the original black and white version. Um, but I'm really stoked about watching it and we're going to have a guest in the studio, um, when we cover this movie. So get excited for that. Um, if you haven't watched it, do you know, M, is it streaming anywhere? It is. Um, it's streaming on Sling TV and the Roku channel. If you have Roku, it's also on something called Plex, but I don't know what that is. Yeah. We can't Um, vouch for that. Yeah. But (laughs) anywhere else it does cost money. Hulu, if you have a premium subscription, you can watch it. Oh, wait, wait, wait. I'm sorry. It's also on Amazon Prime for free. Oh, perfect. Okay, so (laughs) Amazon Prime, Sling TV, Hulu, and Roku. Yes. So if you want to watch it, go check that out. Um, You can look forward to next week's episode. Um, And we love you guys. We hope you have a great week. See you next week. Bye. Bye.